Hello everyone, this is Rising Above Shadows of Abuse, the weekly podcast for anyone currently experiencing trauma, pain, shame, guilt, anger, and wants to eradicate these negative emotions. I'm your host, Grace Opa. I'm a survivor of domestic violence. Welcome listeners to another thought-provoking episode on Rising Above Shadows of Abuse. Once you are confident, you are able to empower others. I quote, My counsellor asked me what I would like to say to my abuser if I ever confronted him. I never have confronted him. I wanted to know why. What made you do this to me? What happened to you? What made you this way? Then I was also reminded that these acts are not by rational people and would probably not prompt a rational response. If discussing sensitive issues such as good sex and bad sex is difficult in an educational environment, dealing with the subject of childhood sexual abuse with parents and family members can be far more challenging. That a close relative has been engaged in abuse with a child is made more difficult and stressful for the child to define if he or she has no means to explain what has happened to them. That an unpleasant and frightening act has been experienced by the child had at least been discussed as part of the school curriculum, that child will feel more empowered and confident to openly discuss the encounter with family members. The importance of education in a child's life cannot be overstated enough. From an early age, learning had concentrated on the core subjects of reading, writing and mathematics, progressing through science, art, religion and environmental studies to name just the basic ones. In recent times, drug and alcohol awareness, culture and ethnicity had been included. Yet, what has been conspicuously absent had been a conscious appreciation of the importance of relationships between boys and girls around the sensitive and no less important subjects of respect, conduct, consent and boundaries when dealing with the opposite sex. If these subjects were taught in school from the early years, children would grow and develop a healthy understanding and positive disposition towards each other. Disrespectful and offensive attitudes that may manifest themselves in later years or life could be avoided. Basically, what should be taught is if you want to hug, touch, cuddle and show physical affection towards someone of the opposite sex or even the same sex, treat them the same way with the same respect you would expect to be afforded yourself and ask their permission first. Miss Jackson's One Touch Transformation is an organization that raises awareness and speaks out against sexual abuse. Our mission is to educate, empower and encourage all survivors, families, friends and the community about sexual abuse. We will transform lives for the better and provide hope, continued healing to those who have been sexually abused. We are a non-profit organization that focuses on sexual abuse awareness, prevention and healing. Our mission is to educate the community about sexual abuse and to encourage and empower victims and survivors. Good day, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Rising Above Shadows of Abuse. My special guest today is Athenaeus Jackson, a sexual abuse survivor and advocate. 
the founder of One Touch Transformation, a nonprofit organization that focuses on sexual abuse, prevention, and awareness. She's based in the USA. Welcome, Athenas. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Um, could you tell us a bit about yourself and your activism? Yes, yeah, sure. So I am located in the U.S. I'm actually in South Carolina. And if anyone knows anything about, you know, being in the South is that it's considered being living in the Bible Belt. So <laughs> I'm just going to talk a little bit about that and that I kind of help you understand why I said that in the first place. So living in this Bible, be- Bible Belt area, you know, a lot of people are conservative, of course, very strict with religion and one reason why I started the organization is to talk about it on a spiritual aspect because it's one of those topics that are not only talked about just in everyday conversations or in our community, but it's certainly not talked about in church because it's just one of those topics like we don't talk about it. So when I started One Touch Transformation, that was one of my goals to make sure that it was talked about in faith-based communities and not only just in our um, regular communities and also in different um, schools, because again, it's hard to even have this conversation in school. Um, So yeah, that was one major goal that I wanted to do um, besides helping others heal from their past, because you know, it's, it's a traumatic experience that has taken place in many people's lives, both male and females. And it's just been a, a topic that's been avoided for so many years. And I often think about where I would have been had this conversation been held earlier in my time versus me being silent about it for so long. But I know things happen, you know, in different ways and at different times. And, you know, we have to get to a point where we're, uh, I guess, where we can accept things for how they happen and be able to, I guess, create a safe place for others to share their story. And that's what I've been doing for the past eight years or so. And I'm just grateful that I've been able to do the work that I've been able to do with the help of others and the support of different ones in the community. But, you know, there's so much that I could say, but just wanted to, you know, kind of give you a a little bit or a preview about me and why I do what I do. Okay. So in essence, that's a kind of ministry for you. It is, yes. Okay. So you're a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, a certified motivational speaker for rape, abuse, and incest national network speaker bureau. Rain, how have you helped young children who have experienced rape? And can you kindly give an example? Yeah, sure. Um, So I haven't been able to help children, you know, one-on-one in the way that I would hope to, because with us being a nonprofit organization, we don't have all the fundings that we would need, but I am able to direct them to services within the area, whether it's, you know, local or, you know, I can even give them information on how to find services that are available in the area to help them get the help that they need. I I guess the best way to explain it is being a bridge. So helping them get to the resources that they need. But of course, I'm always there as as an advocate to support them and to guide them, especially with family members who don't know what to do. Because if we're honest, a lot of parents do not know 
what to do, what to say when their child tells them, you know, they've been raped or they've been molested or they've had someone touching them inappropriately. And so a lot of times I'm also there for family members, um, mothers, older siblings to kind of help them along the way with the journey, because it is it is difficult. It's difficult for family members to go through this with their child or younger sibling. And, you know, I have firsthand experience because I have older brothers who have had to learn how to help me heal with this and of course my parents and so um I've, it's it's quite a journey it's quite a journey and I'm just glad that I'm able to help not only the victims but also family members we also have a mentoring program um, called the butterfly effect and with the mentoring program it's to help not only um help the victims who may have or children who may have been victims themselves but also to give them the tools that they need in case they are approached by you know other family members or anyone who may try to touch them inappropriately. And so we use the butterfly effect to help them, you know, speak up, recognize who are predators, who are, um, who are supposed to touch their body, who's not. And we talk about good touch and bad touch, you know, simply starting with the simple conversation of, you know, what a high five is versus someone touching them inappropriately in their, and we call them the hot spot areas. And so that's how our organization is helping children. So we're using the prevention tools, using awareness tools and also, you know, being a support system. And I hope that answered your question. <laughs> yeah, in a way it does. You hold a master's degree in communication management and psychology from Grand Canyon University and also mm -hmm. a certification for stewards of children, darkness to light, which is a thorough training for recognizing signs of child abuse. Kindly explain. Yes. Um, so I'll start with the with my degrees first. <laughs> so I always thought I was going to be a news reporter, which explains the communication part. But um, after the plan change, I decided to um, use just focus most on the communication side, dealing with marketing and actually motivational um, speaking. So um, I won't say I don't use it at all. Um, the psychology definitely use that with my mentoring services and just being a part of a, uh, being an advocate in general because um, as a survivor I've realized that it has affected me mentally emotionally you know spiritually all of those things and everything is all it starts with the mind so I do realize I need the psychology part in order to not only understand myself but to understand others um you know the victims and so it has helped tremendously um that and and to be honest I feel like when I went back to take up the psychology it wasn't really to get a job in psychology but I really wanted to understand you know myself and understand the mind of others and how victims are real life affected by you know um sexual abuse because it takes a huge toll on you it really does and I I feel like a lot of people do not realize that especially living here in the south and and especially being a a black woman um where therapy and counseling is kind of frowned upon in our black community I highly recommend it I am I am for it even though I'm spiritual at the same time I'm still for therapy and so having that background in psychology helps me helps me realize that, hey, it does work, you know, having someone to talk to, having someone to confide in, mm -hmm. as well as praying and getting your devotional time in, it's a great mm -hmm. combination. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm glad that I did take up psychology to help me understand the mind and understand how 
the things that happen to us, those traumatic experiences, they they do affect people's lives and not just currently, but even down the road. There were a lot of things that I did not understand about myself until I went to therapy. And I realized that, oh, because of what happened, that's why I made some of the, the decisions that I made. And that's why a lot of people make a lot of decisions that they do today because of what happened, whether you know it was good or bad. But um, psychology, it definitely has played a huge role in what I do. Um, this, the darkness to light training, it's, it's a training that's been going on for um, quite a few years now, and it helps you recognize those signs in children, which is why it's really important to take that training. And, it, and anyone can take it. Anyone can take it because um, if you're working around children, you want to make sure that you're able to recognize different signs. Every child may not show signs of being abused, but it's still good to know, you know, what those signs look like as far as um, you might have one child who is active and then all of a sudden they turn, it's a complete 180 where they're shutting down and they're no longer active, no longer talking. And so, and I'm not saying that it's because that they've been abused, but it is, a, you know, it's a red flag that something has happened. You have some children who uh, may have signs of, you know, they start hurting themselves. Like you just never know. And that training, it teaches you a lot. It teaches you what to look at and teaches you how to handle certain situations and who mandated reporters are. As a teacher, of course, I am a mandated reporter. Um, it talks about how, you know, how adults can help in general, even in ministry. If you have a nursery, if you have someone who's over your youth ministry, it is okay to do a background check because a lot of times people want to, you know, excuse background checks just because we're in church. But no, you still want to know who is looking over your children. You want to know who's working with your children. And so there was, it's a lot of helpful things that they talk about in that training. And I recommend anyone, especially those who are working with children, to take that training so you'll know what signs to look for, how you can help, um, what things that you can do to implement and whatever programs that, that children are going to be a part of. Do, do go through the training. Go through it because it will teach you a lot. Actually, I was going to ask you the question. Mm -hmm. um, what are the signs of child abuse and who do you signpost a child to if experiencing this? So here in the U.S., I know we have um, anonymous reporting. So if you do have, you know, any indications or if a child even comes and tell you that they are being abused, you can report anonymously. Um, in school, I know there are certain protocols, but even outside of the school, you have anonymous reporting um, to the police, obviously. And then there are rape crisis centers where if you don't want to fully intervene, you can call there. And I think that's where you would do the anonymous reporting. And that way, you know, they would do the policing and um, adhere to the proper protocols. But you can you can report it if you know that it's being done, being done, or you know if you have you see any signs. Um, with children, as far as if you're in the home with them, there are some children who will you know start bedwetting. You know if if they're a child of age and they're normally you know they know how to use the restroom and whatnot, but there are some children who go back to bedwetting because it's you know it's traumatic. Um, if you have some children who start complaining of, you know, it's hurting for them to sit down, you know, something simple as sitting down, then it could be that they have had some trauma down it, you know, just in their vagina. So that it's hurting, it's hurting them. Some complain of having stomach pains, you know, a lot of, a lot of things that we may tend to overlook because we are adults. But um, and when children start complaining of certain, you know, 
anxiety things that we may we may kind of write off as a child, we need to pay more close attention to it because children are not going to make up stories like that if something has happened. And if all of a sudden they are crying out for help in a way that is unfamiliar, then it's an indication that something has happened. And, and they may not come out and tell you. So you may have to be a little inquisitive whenever they start coming to you or if they're complaining and they're all and they're shutting down or no longer want to be around others. So it, it, it's different for every child. Like for me, I don't think I showed any signs, which is why I was able to hide it because uh, my parents, none of my family, my brothers, they didn't know for, you know, for 20 years. So I feel like I didn't show any signs. So you will have some children who don't show any signs and, you know, whatever the reasons are, it, that's just how it happens. But every child is different and which is why it's important to take as much training as you can. So you'll know what to look for when you see a child's behavior changes. So there, it's just, it's, it's just different for every child. Okay, thank you. So kindly talk about the Butterfly Effect Mentoring Program that teaches adolescents and pre-teen girls the importance of consent, mm -hmm. boundaries, whilst instilling a sense of confidence self-love and empowerment so we started the butterfly effect um i believe it was maybe a couple of years after the organization started and one of the reasons we wanted to start it um we is because we thought about you know you know it was three of us at the time as mentors we thought about how it was when we were young girls coming up who did we talk to or who had these serious conversations to us and if we think about it, it was really no one <laughs> because um, in school, they would talk about drugs and alcohol, but they didn't really talk about, you know, sexual assault. They didn't talk about good touch and bad touch. And so we we use that concept like, well, you know what? Why don't we have this conversation? And it doesn't even have to be that deep. It's just as simple as good touch and bad touch. Who can touch my body? who's not allowed to touch my body. And so we start with the good touches as far as like high fives, handshakes. And also when you're talking about consent, we broke it down as easily as asking a question, is it okay if I give you a hug? And we let them know that you can say no. If you don't feel comfortable with someone hugging you, you can tell them no. And it's, it's important with something simple as that. Is it okay if I hold your hand? Is it okay if I give you a hug? Is it okay if I touch your hair? That's just simple consent, just asking for permission. But these are the small things that are not taught to young children. And so they feel like it's okay to just touch whoever they want to. And, and we also talk about how it is not okay for a boy to slap you on the butt. And a, and a lot of times adults are like, oh, he just likes you. It's like, that is not the way a boy tells you that he likes you. So again, that is not appropriate. So these are like small conversations that need to be held with children at a younger age. And it's just simple consent, asking for permission. And then I feel like if we have these conversations earlier, then as they get older, they will understand like, okay, I know how to respect one another. And that goes both ways, both boys and girls. Even though we were talking with girls most of the time, or all of the time, I should say, um, we let them know that 
boys, they, it's the same way. We can't just touch boys just because we want to or just because we know that <laughs> they're going to believe a girl over a boy. Either way, we, it goes both ways. Consent goes both ways. So we start off just by talking simply about just asking for permission. Um, we, I think our youngest girl that we had was six. So we go from six to 17 now. So with, of course, the little ones, we talk about just, you know, simple asking for permission. And we do the demonstration of asking, is it okay if I give you a hug? And that was, that's a huge one because, you know, in our culture, you may have some parents who make their children hug other family members. And sometimes children are not comfortable with that and it's okay. And we have to let them know that their, their emotions and that their feelings, they're valid. And you shouldn't make your child hug and a perverted uncle, especially when you know that they're perverted or a perverted grandfather. And, and it is okay for them to say no, because they are human too. They're individuals. And um, that's one important thing that we focus on when it comes to consent. And the same thing with boundaries. Again, everyone has their own boundaries. It doesn't matter how old they are. Yes, they are children, but they can have boundaries as well. We talk about it just being, you know, that their safe space, their circle. And if you don't want anybody in your bubble or in your circle, then it is okay. And you can say it in a respectful way. So of course, yes means yes and no means no. So those are some of the things we talk about when it comes to consent and boundaries with our girls. But what, what about the confidence and the self-love empowerment? Confidence, yes. So again, talking about how we didn't have these kind of programs when we were coming up because now we know it's different. These girls are exposed to so much when it comes to social media, um, whether it's Instagram, Snapchat, Snapchat um, um, just all of the social platforms. So again, a lot of them are comparing themselves to what they feel like they should look like or how they sh- how their hair should be. So we do talk about you know self-confidence, building their confidence, loving them who they are. Our motto or our mantra, we like to say is, I am strong, I am powerful, I am beautiful, and I am perfect just the way I am. And so every time we would meet, we will always, you know, we'll hold up our butterfly hands and we will state that mantra. And our biggest takeaway that we want them, well, what we want them to take away is knowing that they are perfect just the way that, you know, God created them, no matter who they see or what they see on social media. And we will talk about, you know, of course, imperfections and scars and blemishes. We all have them, but that's not what makes us who we are. Just because we have those imperfections, just because we have those scars and those blemishes does not change who we are on the inside. And, it, and it's going to take us loving who we are first. We talk about self-love. We talk about how to respect ourselves. Because in order to love anyone else and respect anyone else, we have to make sure that we are loving and respecting ourselves first. And that's not comparing ourselves to what we see on the social media, because a lot of times it's not real. Um, The filters, that's not who people really are. And as girls, I know it's really tough um, because everyone is competing with one another. We talk about how it's okay to compliment your friends, your girlfriends. It's okay to compliment them. Let them know, hey, I like your hair. Um, I like what you're wearing. Because the society expects us to be catty. They expect us to compete with one another. And so we try to smash that from the beginning. Like, no, that's not who we are. Let's prove society wrong. Um, Let's upbuild one another. And that's how we upbuild our confidence. Um, When you're confident, then you're able to build confidence with the other. When you're able to empower yourself, you're able to empower others. And so that's another one of our strong things that we like to implement with our girls in the butterfly effect. Wow. That's intriguing. That's interesting because you said something that actually um, 
I believe is quite salient, which is once you are confident, you are able to empower others. That's mm-hmm. a good one. Definitely. So, <laughs> is music a therapeutic tool for healing trauma? It is. Um, and it, well, with me, music has always been a part of my life. And crazy thing that happened with me as far as the music therapy, I didn't do as much with it as people probably thought I would have. Um, I did a little bit, but not much because I've always been into music, um, singing. I play a little guitar. I used to do a little bit of drumming. And so uh, (laughs) um, when I first started my healing journey, I actually like stopped. I stopped singing. I stopped performing because it was like, I don't, a part of it kind of died, I'd say. Um, It wasn't interested interesting to me anymore and I just had to take a break from it but after I did you know I came back strong with it so now like I said music has always been a part of me and I felt like I hid behind my music and that's what kind of kept me going and maybe that's why when I started my journey it was like I had to stop but I did a lot of hiding behind my music I really did um no one understood what was going on or saw what was going on anytime I was on the stage and so I felt like it was just the greatest escape for me it was the greatest escape for me it gave me the best feeling it was kind of like I got a high from it which you know I still when I, whenever I am performing I still get that same feeling so I still I still love performing um I miss performing like I used to um of course with the pandemic going on I haven't been able to do as much as I wanted to and teaching on top of all of that but before before that I guess that would have been two, before 2013 because that's when I first told my story to my family but before then me, I hid behind the music. I hid behind everything that was happening on stage. So like I, it was a way where I could kind of shut down everything that was going on in my mind. And so I guess it I guess you can say it was therapeutic then. But when I first started my journey, it's like I stopped. I stopped. It, it, it just wasn't the same for me. But I did a lot of writing and a lot of journaling. And it wasn't until I was able to kind of overcome that I went back to my music back to writing and um but yeah uh it's it's funny that you asked that because I never really thought about it because a lot of times I would say yeah music was very um you know therapeutic for me but actually I didn't do as much as I thought I would have or others thought I would have since I've done so much music in my life Hmm. thank you so I'm actually um thinking about what you just said now that you mm-hmm. hid behind your music but you I were did. writing lyrics mm-hmm. when you were writing the lyrics was it to express how you were feeling within some of the songs yes um some of the songs yes I do remember writing this very depressing song and how that I think about it, I wrote this very depressing song and no one knew where it came from or why I was even singing it and no one even questioned it like <laughs> that's how that's how well I wore my mask um but I remember there were yeah it was very depressing and I remember I had a picture of this young girl just crying uh I used it as a cover uh, I didn't do I didn't release it or anything but I shared it with my family and close friends and but I remember writing that song and in a way I knew I was crying out for help but no one knew at the time <laughs> 
And so uh, I have pages of lyrics that I have not done anything with it. And, and there were some, you know, I, I know that I was crying out for help, but no one knew at the time. And a lot of them were not heard and they have not been heard yet. And so, um, yeah. And then there were some that were kind of inspirational as far as, you know, still trying to live out my dreams and still trying to, I guess, be that perfect Christian girl, you know, mm. <laughs> still trying to wear that face. So it's like I had a mixture of, of both, some some depressing, some in between and some inspirational because mm. I was still trying to hold up that face during that time. <laughs> you were trying to be strong for yourself as well as masking the pain that you were feeling. Yes. <laughs> So this abuse you went through, was it somebody related to you or was it someone you knew in terms of in the church environment? Or Yes, um, it was someone that I was related to and definitely knew because um, most of the time victims do know who their perpetrators are. Um, it was an uncle of mine, actually. Um, I was about six years old. And so um, when you think you can trust family and that, you know, and parents think that you can go around family anytime, they think you're safe, we think we're safe. And it happened while I was over at my uncle's house. And um, like I said, I never told anyone. I went back home acting as if everything was normal, um, even though I, I was young at the time, but I still remember it like it was yesterday because it's one of those experiences that you just don't forget. But it definitely was someone that I knew, someone I, I thought that I could trust. You know, I thought I was safe in that um, home because it, it was like a home away from home. But obviously, that's not always the case. And that's what happened with so many children today. Um, they, the the perpetrators, they, they groom you. And one thing that you learn in the training with Darkness to Light, they groom the parents first, and then they groom the children because they try to gain the trust of parents so that you allow your children to come in their home or their surroundings and their environment. And so whenever they gain the trust of parents and it's like, okay, you trust me enough to let your children come into my, my environment or my, my home. And that's exactly what happened. And, you know, um, I'm so protective of my nephews. I don't have any children, but I'm protective of my nephews and, of course, my brothers are now because of what happened to me. And like, this has taught our family a whole lot. And even, you know, others who have heard my story, like you have to be careful, even with family. It's not even just strangers anymore, but you just have to be careful with family members because you never know their motives. You don't know their intentions. And and sadly, you know, that's what happens. And, and not only in families, but in churches, you, just because they go to church does not mean that they're going to do the right thing either. And so that's why a lot of perpetrators or a lot of victims, they know who their perpetrators are. And it's the one who they thought that they could trust. Thank you so much for sharing this. I'm so sorry to hear what happened to you at such a tender age, six years old. That's six years young. old. Mm -hmm. That's very young. But I'm happy that you've been able to kind of um, get the healing required and mm -hmm. um, you're using what has happened to you as a platform to mentor other children and speak about it. Well done. Thank you. So is a butterfly symbolic to you and what does it signify? Yes, so I have grown to love butterflies simply because of the changes that it undergoes from the caterpillar going into that 
chrysalis and into a beautiful butterfly because we all go through changes in life. And, you know, I've undergone many changes, but one of the greatest changes that I've undergone was overcoming my, my past. And I can use a negative experience and make something positive out of it and hopefully be a light to others because we don't have to be a product of our past. We don't have to allow our past to dictate who we become and, you know, the plan that God, God has for us. And butterflies, they are amazing creatures because they start off as this little ugly caterpillar. <laughs> and so we all have an ugly past. And so um, after we, you know, go through our changes, we go through our, our metamorphosis and we come out with something beautiful. And, you know, pain is, is hurt. It, it hurts is ugly, it doesn't feel good. We don't want to go through the whole process, but once we do go through the process, we have to trust it. We come out and we can have a beautiful ending. Um, and and the thing with butterflies, one thing that I learned that in order for it to spread its wings whenever it undergoes the chrysalis stage, it has to have a certain amount of heat before it can fully spread its wings and fly. And so I was like, oh, that's so perfect because, you know, I've gone through a lot and I've taken a lot of heat, you know, because it's not easy always coming out sharing your story, especially when family is still around, you know, like, because I mean, you still see the family members. And so <laughs> it's not always easy because there are times when I do when I do run into, you know, some of the other family members who may not believe me, but, you know, but I deal with it and I'm not ashamed. And it's like, hey, it is what it is. I know what happened. and I know my truth is my story. But even though I still have to go through that, it's like I'm still able to spread my wings and, you know, spread awareness, um, spread healing. And that's why, you know, butterfly is like my my whole new symbol. Now I have I have a lot of butterfly jewelry. I like to collect different kind of butterfly pins. And so it's I, I love it because just the whole changes that we go through in life. And I know even after after this, I'll go through more changes and you know, and still come out with a beautiful end, like beauty for ashes. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So well, that's quite inspiring as far as I'm concerned, because it's, it's true, we all go through different processes and different mm -hmm. stages in life, you know, to become the best that we can become. Yeah. So you host an online blog talk radio show. Kindly mm -hmm. tell us what it's about. Okay, so the blog talk radio show is called Purpose Kingdom Network. And I haven't always been a part of it. Um, Honestly, I didn't even know it existed until about three years ago. I think it was about three years ago. I was actually a guest on this show and I was doing the same thing I'm doing now, sharing my story. And so there's a pastor who actually started this blog talk. And so she reached out to me and asked how would I like to host one of the um one of their sections of the show. And I'm like, really? I was like, no one has ever asked me to, you know, just talk about sexual abuse, especially on a spiritual platform. And so she was like, yeah, she's like, this is much needed. So I'm like, okay. So um, I've been doing it now, I think for the past three years, uh, it's every other Tuesday. And it's just an opportunity for me to, <clears throat> excuse me, talk about sexual abuse on a faith-based, you know, organization, which is cool because a lot of times churches and pastors and ministers, they don't want to talk about this. And I'm so grateful that she thought, you know, you know, well enough for, for and of the organization and, and of me to even have this conversation um, on this on this um, blog talk radio. So it's been a blessing. It's been a blessing for me 
because I'm um, able to encourage and empower, you know, other listeners may, of those who may or may not have been through the same experiences. And, and it's also a way to help others, you know, be good supporters and give them some good insight on how they can help other victims or it, especially if they're in their community or in their own family. But it's been a great opportunity and I'm grateful for it. And yeah, it's, they actually have a show almost every night, but my um, time is every other Tuesday. Uh, my next show is next Tuesday, so not this Tuesday. And so um, it's been cool being a part of that. So again, being able to use my communications. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think uh, there's not enough awareness about sexual abuse in churches? Because we spiritualize, we, we try to sweep mm-hmm. things under the carpet and we spiritualize mm-hmm. a lot of things. And as far as um, the church is and other faiths, um, sexual right. abuse is like a taboo, a no-go area, especially amongst the Black community. Yes, definitely. There is not enough awareness in the church. Um, even, let me tell you, I tried to, this was about, probably about two or three years ago again I know it was before the pandemic yeah it was before the pandemic it's it's funny how we have to gauge everything by the pandemic it's hard to try to remember things but um this is before the pandemic I tried to get a community of pastors together or just ministers um any kind of lead in a church I wanted to host an event and it's called spark the conversation and so I sent out I actually posted it and I had, I had several pastors that was like, yes, I'm in, count me in, count me in. But on the day of the event or the first meeting, I think I had like three that showed up. And I was like, what? And so I, I, I don't understand. I really don't understand why it's so hard to talk about even in a church, even though I know that there are some leaders in the church who may be perpetrating themse- perpetrated themselves. Yeah. And that's, you know, that could be partly reason why they won't talk about it. But even if you don't know how, that's what we're here for. And that's what sparked the conversations about. We were able to do it at a couple of churches. Um, my father allowed us to do it at his church. Um, my dad's a pastor. So we okay. did it at his church and I did it at another church. And our purpose for having that event is to connect the church with the resources in the community. So you'll know what to do if something like this should arise in your, in your congregation. But it just, it baffled me that none of them really wanted to show up. Like they, as long as it was, it was posted, like I said, and I had pastors like chiming in and saying, yes, count me in, count me in, count me in. And, and like I said, it was probably three. And I, it was just so disappointing and I just, I'll never understand it. I'll never understand it. And I'm not saying that every sermon has to be about it and it doesn't even have to take place during a church service. I mean, have it during a, you know, a weekly night where you can just provide resources for people in your congregation because people in your congregation, they're not going to come forward and tell you, especially if you're not going to at least you know recognize that it does happen. And I think that's where the issue is because the pastor doesn't show any concern or doesn't show any or make any um, or make any steps towards trying to help others who may be suffering from things of the past. Then, of course, they're not going to feel comfortable enough to come forward to say, hey, I need help with this or I need to I, I, I need to let you know what happened to me. And, and that's why a lot of times I think about myself. I'm like, well, maybe I could share my story, my story earlier 
had we talked about it at church or someone made an effort to say, oh, we know that this goes on, but it's like no one even bothers to even just have this, the conversation about it. I mean, we have cases that we can read about in the Bible, but still no one really talks about that either. <laughs> and yep. so it it really concerns me. Um, you know, and the church is supposed to be a place where people feel safe to talk about these things, but we're not, <laughs> we're not, we don't feel safe to talk about it. And so you have people in your congregation suffering um, from the pain of the past and from traumatic experiences that have occurred. And it's like, no one cares to mention it or, and that's why people still suffer. They can't be delivered from the pain of the past. And it's just sad, but how many people are still suffering? And then you have people who leave church and you don't know why. So it, it's definitely not enough awareness in the church. So in a way, it's like a taboo to talk about. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And I think I mentioned this on my um, last blog talk last week. I was talking about how, you know, they don't talk about sexual abuse. And it seems like it's so hard for them to even just say the word sex in church. And it's like, like, I was so embarrassed. Like, Like, it's like every time if someone says the word sex in church, everybody tenses up like, they look at it as if it's a bad thing. I mean, yes, people abuse it and use it the wrong way, but that doesn't mean that sex is bad in general, but it's like, it's one of those subjects that people tense up when they hear the word sex in church. Or So, <laughs> so of course, when they mention sexual abuse, it's like everybody wants to put their head down. It's like, and I know it's, like I said, there's several reasons because there are perpetrators in the church and then you have people who are suffering from the pain of, sexual abuse of the past so it is it's a complex it's a complex situation because I still believe that maybe Mm -hmm. why some pastors don't really want to talk about it is because they might be guilty they might be Mm -hmm. themselves. I mean you told them and they said they were in and when the d-day came only three appeared so it speaks volumes it does speak volumes you you never can tell until you know they're Mm -hmm. exposed so yeah so how can women and girls rise above shadows of abuse first um tell someone tell someone and find someone that you can confide in that someone that you can trust and if that means reaching out to a, a crisis center um you can do it you know several ways you either go in person or you can go to the web, well, the group that you called out earlier, RAIN, Rape Abuse is this National Network. If you go to their website, you can actually chat with someone, or you can call the Hope Line, or you can um, type in your zip code, and it'll tell you the, the closest crisis center near you. And so first, that's the first thing that you need to do. Um, seek help. Talk to someone. A lot of times we feel like we don't need to talk about it. I'll deal with it myself. But in order to actually start your healing journey, you have to talk about it. You know, it's a hard decision. It's a hard decision to make, but you, you'll be happy that you did once you finally start releasing it because you have to release that. You can't carry that for the rest of your life. It'll be hard. I mean, the more you hold on to it, you're going to continue to, um, you know, grow colder and bitter and carry all of that. And you do not want to carry that for the rest of your life. It, it's, mm -mm. I carried it for 20 years and it affected 
everything that I did, every stage in my life, even though I didn't realize it, but it will affect you. So that's the first thing you have to do. Release it, talk about it and get help. And like I said, I'm a strong believer, but I also believe in going to counseling and therapy, despite what our community says, despite what the church says, despite what our culture says, there is nothing wrong with therapy. And you can find Christian counselors if that's what you want. Um, Finding a counselor is very important. Finding one that that meets your needs and ones that you are comfortable with. It may take a while, but you want to find one that you're comfortable with. It took me going to like three or four different ones, but I wanted to find someone that I knew who would cater to what I needed. And and that and, that, and that's what I did. And that's what you can do, too. So just because I'm saying go get help, don't just see just don't go to the first counselor that's available. But make sure that it's like it's like getting in a relationship. And so you figure out who is right for you. Um, so seeking help, finding a good counselor and a good therapist, um, knowing that you're not alone, your feelings and your emotions are valid. Um, you can do some music therapy. <laughs> you can do some <laughs> journaling. Journaling helps whenever you feel like you can't talk to someone, whenever you can't get to your therapist and your counselor, write it out, write it out. Find a, a good, healthy outlet that will help you continue to grow and know that healing is available for you. Healing is available. Trust the process. That was one of the biggest advice that I was given. Trust the process. It's not going to happen overnight. It may not happen over a matter of weeks, but trust the process. Take it one step at a time, one day at a time, and just continue to heal and survive. So like I say, it's not something that just happens overnight you just continue to heal survive and you can thrive um that's all I have because wow. <laughs> every every journey is different every journey is different know that it's not linear it's definitely not linear so you're gonna have some up and down days um I still do even after eight years but hey I'm still surviving I'm still healing um make sure you take time for yourself um I won't say it was a mistake that I made I'm not even calling it a mistake but and this is something else I even told um, listeners last week, but um, that 2013 is when I first shared my story with my family and I went and got help and everything. The following year, that's when I started One Touch Transformation. So from 2014 and I'll say up into 2020, I spent all of my time and energy helping others. And so during the pandemic, you know, I was still trying to figure out how I was going to help others. And so a lot of things went virtual, of course. So this year when it came in, I was like, you know what, I'm going to take some time off and just enjoy being a survivor. And so I was like, I'm not going to I'm not going to advocate, you know, like I normally would do. Like I'm still an advocate, but I was like, I have not given myself any time in a while, like not since the year of 2013. And so that's what I've been doing this year. Um, I haven't been really advocating heavy like I would normally do like I'm taking this time to be just a survivor um we've had one pop-up um session for a butterfly effect because we haven't been able to meet consistently since the pandemic but we're trying something new trying to do pop-up sessions in different areas in our state and we're going to try and see how that works but as far as like heavily advocating like you know what I'm just gonna take some time for myself and you know because you got to take care of yourself both mentally emotionally and so I'm like I'm just gonna spend my time enjoying being a survivor because I've been there for many others you know giving my energy and my time to 
everybody else who, who you know, who needed someone or needed some support. And so um, I kind of, I kind of neglected my own emotions and my own time. And so I'm like, you know what, I'm going to spend this year being a survivor and then pick up <laughs> maybe next year. <laughs> okay. Where do you find yourself in the next, say, five years? Five years. Um, I think I'll still be teaching because I've been enjoying this journey of teaching so far, even though it's only been about a year and a half. But I, I feel like I'll, if not teaching, I still want to stay in education in some kind of capacity because I still want to be around children. I want to um, be able to help them. And I feel like I can still, you know, be an advocate, even in education. Um, but who knows? I've, <laughs> who knows? I want to get back to singing. Um, it's, I don't know, but I do still see the two crossing paths. Um, definitely singing and being in education and being an advocate and helping children. It's just, I don't know, it's just so much on the plate. It's kind of hard to really, <laughs> it's kind of hard to decide exactly what or where I see myself in five years. But as of now, I still see myself being in education for the time being. Okay. Thank you so much, Athenius Jackson, for coming on the show. And I wish you all the best. And Thank hopefully you. we should be collaborating on some other projects. Okay. And listeners, if you've enjoyed uh, this particular episode, kindly subscribe, comment, and leave a review. And how do people get in touch with you? Uh, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Is I think I'm the only Arthenius Jackson up there. <laughs> so you can just add Arthenius J. That's uh, most of my handles are Arthenius J. So that's A R T H E N I U S J. Listeners, you've heard what she said. So do the honors <laughs> and see you in our next episode. For more Rising Above Shadows of Abuse news, head to our Instagram.com page or youtube.com page forward slash rising above shadows of abuse. And our email address is rising above shadows of abuse at gmail.com to interact with us. See you soon. Rising above shadows of abuse podcast with Grace Offbar.